Welcome to the Regional Roundup, a production of Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a coalition of public and community radio stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah and New Mexico, including this one. I'm Maeve Conran, the coalition's managing editor, and today we'll hear stories of high school students from around the region. Academic pressure and its impact on mental health striving for the best and so that means I get the best results in my my schoolwork and stuff and it's often reflected in my grades I always do well but then on the flip side the stress and the lack of sleep. High school students from New York visit Wyoming to learn about the past. That whole experience made me truly like think about my future and like made me realize there were so many paths that I could take and not just be so focused on one teen performers in the Roaring Fork Valley get a boost for their production of Spelling Bee. I feel like just like doing another one for me because like I thought my last show was my last show and I'm here I am doing another one and I'm just so happy to be doing another one. And the family of a Parkland High student is touring the country with an anti-gun violence message. Being Joaquin's dad it's that reminding everyone about Joaquin is probably my most important duty. From Rocky Mountain Community Radio, it's the Regional Roundup. Earlier this summer, the College Board sent out advanced placement scores to hundreds of thousands of students across the country. These scores reflected on their academic performances back in May and they determine whether or not the sleepless nights of studying paid off. KGNU's Emily Cecilo reported on the issue. On Wednesday, July 5th, students huddled around their computer in anticipation, waiting for one particular email. As AP scores come out, so do feelings of pride or disappointment. In the last few weeks of school, students work hard to prepare for the oncoming advanced placement or AP tests, which decide whether or not they receive college credit for the AP course they took. While preparing for these tests, students often experience high levels of Emily herself is a high school student who was interning at KGNU this summer, so I caught up with her to find out more. Emily, it's great to have you join us on the roundup. Thank you very much for taking time. Thank you so much for inviting me here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wanted to take a look at this issue of academic pressure on students, particularly students in high school. Well, currently I am a high schooler and I am going into my sophomore year. And then so the idea came to me when AP scores released. So I got my AP scores. And for me, I felt like my AP scores felt a little disappointing to me in my perspective. And I just felt really sad and stuff like that and I realized like oh wait this is probably just like me in my head because in reality college except these kind of scores this is a good score I worked hard it's not a perfect one but it's good and then so then I was like well so many people I've talked to so many of my friends in high school and they also like face academic pressure and then that also kind of impacts our perspective on our grade and how well we're doing so I just wanted to write something about it just so it would be more relevant out there and so people who would hear it kind of would relate to it or people who don't relate to it know this is how it feels to be in the presence of academic pressure. 
Well, you did feature two other students in your piece. So talk a little bit about them and what they shared and how similar their experiences may or may not be to yours. Okay, so Naha Pazermeli is the same grade as me. She's going to sophomore year. And then so basically in our interview, she basically talked about how facing her first AP exam and how confusing it was. And she didn't really know too much about AP and it was just unknown there. And I've never um, like heard about like AP testing before and like how, what to expect really between students who took AP Human Geo and students who took regular Human Geo. Like there was that stark like stress being seen among like the AP students. Because, like, we did have a teacher who prepared us really well, but at the same time, like, sometimes with these kinds of things, you can never feel prepared enough. And then she also talked about how throughout the year she faces academic pressure and from herself, too, from her peers around her. And that forced her to kind of, like, strive to be perfect. I'm striving for the best, and so that means I get the best results in, like, my schoolwork and stuff, and it's often reflected in my grades I always do well but then on the flip side the stress and the lack of sleep and she talked about how it's unattainable and how she kept working and eventually got burned out and unable to complete the task that she was meant to and just like perfection is never attainable for anyone no matter like how hard you work and so that like unattainability means that people keep working to be perfect and it's just not possible And so, like, it contributes to mental health issues and things like that, which I have experienced. And the second one is Josue Hernandez Guerrero, who is um, going into his freshman year into college. And his perspective of academic pressure was a little bit different than Naha's. He talked about all of these expectations stacking up on you, especially in your junior year, uh, college scholarships and different programs. There's a lot of expectations for you, whether that be like, oh, you need to go to college, you need to apply for programs, internships, but while you also take like, I don't know, like so many AP classes and also ACT tutoring. So those expectations start to stack up. How he was just burned out junior year and unable to complete stuff that would help with his well-being and putting his well-being and self-care to the side. Just taking care of yourself and just doing self-care, going on a hike, things like that they become less like important to you almost. So at a point, you just start to focusing a lot of of your time in school and sometimes you don't even notice how much time you're putting into school just because you're so focused to get like an A. So both of these experiences are similar even though they root from a different kind of academic pressure. They're similar because they had the same effect. Both of them had negative impacts to their um, well-being and mental health. They both were burnt out. They both didn't prioritize their self-care anymore. And those are just like the impacts that are similar within academic pressure. When you were speaking to both of those students, did their stories resonate with you on a personal level and, and connect a little bit to the experiences that you had? Yeah, definitely. Both of their experiences connected with me, but mostly with Naha, since I am not yet in my junior year, so I don't feel those expectations of college stacking on me just yet. But I feel like whatever I heard from like Naha, it resonated with me because I had felt the same thing throughout my freshman year as well. And then in the end of freshman year, everyone was just talking and it's like, oh my god, freshman year is so like, it burns me out so much. I 
am so tired all the time. And this is just my freshman year. I have sophomore year, which will be harder, and then junior year, which will be even harder. And it just keeps going on and on. And that also really resonated with me and made me want to talk more about it. Well, you did talk more about it and you spoke as part of your report to a therapist, Anne Robinson, who's with Two Rivers Therapy. Now, what advice did Anne give you? Well, she gave us multiple steps to kind of care for this academic pressure. One of the steps that I remember most of all was kind of like setting our expectations and then putting up a really realistic goal and being like, you don't have to be perfect and the best at everything all the time. So what are we, what are we actually doing? Like, what are we hoping for? What would be a successful outcome? And then how do I help you get there? Give yourself a break. Make sure to balance school with everything else that you have. Encouraging some exploration and experimentation. So we don't have to be the best at everything we try. And how do we know what we like if we haven't tried it? Make sure to spend time with your friends and have a reliable support system where you can talk with your friends, talk with your family, but not only them, but with like mental supporters, therapists, your school counselor. All of these folks can help mitigate some of the stressors and pressures that you're experiencing as a student. She just suggested that we kind of like lower our expectations and make sure that we rely on the people that we love most. For students, this could be family members, friends, teachers. One of the things that Anne said that I thought was really interesting was that very often we assume the pressure is coming from parents, but a lot of times it's actually coming from the students themselves. It can come from parents, although I think that's a smaller percentage than we than we like to think it does. She did say that it could come from peers, it could come from the environment and the media that we're taking. And she did say that it sometimes can come from parents, but not as much as we think it should. Typically, folks that are feeling a lot of pressure are people that tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves in general. And right now, academic is where that's being focused. Academic pressure is mostly times from ourselves, and it's just from pressure in general. But then we focus that into academics. And the pressure that we're feeling from ourselves is just basically, I want to be perfect. I want to be in like the perfect person. And she said, basically, all of this pressure is being focused in academics. Did it help you navigate some of the pressure, especially now you're getting ready to go back into high school, but being able to approach the issue from the perspective of being a radio reporter? How did that impact your experience of all of this? While reporting on this matter, I had to look at this matter in more of a third person perspective and kind of put aside some of my perspectives because I was the one who was making uh, the story. And then uh, back when I was uh, in freshman year, I was like, oh, this is normal. Like everyone is saying this, everyone is doing this. And this is totally normal to expect this much out of myself. But now that I report on it and now that I interview people and talk to Anne Robinson, I'm like, that are su- those are like super high expectations that we're putting on ourselves and sometimes we can't reach it but that doesn't mean we should be disappointed about the things that we can't reach and overall what's the experience been like for you interning at a radio station this summer oh i i've loved it the people at kg and you are so nice they're so supportive i've learned so much here about journalism about radio and production uh i think it's amazing. I, I love interning at KGNU and 
just coming up with stories with people and having group discussions with everyone has been amazing so far. I look forward to hearing a lot more of your stories and your reports. And I suspect we're going to hear a lot more from you in the future years as well. And it's been so great to talk to you, Emily. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You can find Emily Cecilo's story on academic pressure on teens at news.kgnu.org. You are listening to the Regional Roundup from Rocky Mountain Community Radio. High school students from across the country are looking to the Mountain West to learn how to preserve buildings from the past for future generations. A group of kids from New York City visited Grand Teton and Yellowstone and they asked questions like, what is important in our history? KHOL's Hannah Mersbach brings us the story. Nine students are gathered in a sliver of shade under the Pink House, one of Grand Teton's historic buildings. It's a home constructed in 1938 by one of the first settlers in the area. The students are trading stories from their trip in Yellowstone, and for some, it was their first time camping. When I mean I was so close to that bison, I think I felt it rub on the tent next to me. That's Adam Sela. It's his 18th birthday, and he says getting out of New York City has been the best way to spend it. Getting to like see actual real grass instead of turf, and like smell fresh air instead of like pollution air. Like get to see like clear skies and like really hear like the silence of the birds and the animals. Just to really. The students are on a three-week field trip to Wyoming's national parks learning everything from historic masonry to log preservation and wood window repair. And they're asking questions about what's important to preserve and who gets to decide. Here's Sela and other students speaking with Grand Teton Superintendent Chip Jenkins. And I feel like the start of the National Park Service was to preserve our parks for the people. And it's where you put the emphasis on the last part of that sentence, right, which was for the people. This visit is a way to apply what they've been learning at the Stephen T. Mather Building Arts and Craftsmanship High School, which helps serve minority students in New York. Named after the first director of the National Park Service and partly funded by the parks, the school's goal is to funnel students into fields like historic preservation. This can mean restoring old homesteads, just like the Pink House. Since the modernization and industrialization of construction, you have an entirely different field of people that have to learn the old ways that we used to construct buildings in order to preserve them. So we specialize in that kind of lost and dying art of traditional trades. That's Catherine Watson, who leads programs at the Historic Preservation Training Center at Grand Teton. She says it's their first year hosting this specific program and part of a greater initiative to diversify who works in and has access to national parks. Opening up and realizing that we need to be more reflective of you know, the American population. One student, Ella Lungi, says spending time with park staff has opened her eyes to new opportunities. That whole experience made me truly like think about my future and like made me realize there were so many paths that I could take and not just be so focused on one. Ora Peduto says she's leaving the parks feeling inspired, pointing to a project the group worked on in Yellowstone. 
One of my favorite things that I've experienced is being able to see the subtle changes that we've created, like at the Norris Ranger Museum. Like, it wasn't like we did something grand, but we definitely did something that's going to help out in the future and make that building last longer. So that's something. Peduto and the others say they're excited to apply what they've learned back home in New York and maybe someday as members of the Park Service themselves. Hannah Mersbach, K-12 News. And now a story on how an arts community in Colorado banded together to help a high school performance. When the education coordinators for Theatre Aspen were faced with the dilemma for their production of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, they turned to the Arts Collective for help. KDNK's Haddison Rensbury has more. Vanessa Strawn, the Director of Secondary Education for Theatre Aspen, describes the problems the production was facing in detail. There's the immediate story and then there's sort of the longer term story of the construction in Aspen School District. Because of that construction, we've been at the Colorado Mountain College campus, but we were supposed to be able to move into the black box at Aspen High School originally and had got delayed till the 24th. And we've known that for a little while, but then got some communication from them that there had been something really unexpected in their replacement of some sort of mechanism that they weren't anticipating. So it was sort of a sudden scramble for a place for the kids to perform. But for performance space, we were really in a bind um, because there's a lot of restrictions on where you can really be for a theatrical performance to have all the tech elements that you need to make happen, to fit in the audience members, to have the space for the kids to perform on stage. So we sort of sent out an all-call to to the Valley Arts Organization. It's been so incredibly heartwarming and touching to see how quickly and enthusiastically everyone responded about doing everything they could to help us find an alternate space. The Salt Middle School was super generous in quickly offering us the use of their auditorium space, which obviously would have, in terms of facility, been a fantastic second option just in terms of location or it certainly would have been a little bit tougher logistically like I said just so appreciative of like how quickly everyone came together and all of the work folks put into trying to find a backup option for the kids and that Aspen High School and, and the construction team there put into trying to get things back as much on track as they could as quickly as they possibly could. Strawn then reflected on the attitude she wants to continue to foster within her students and her program's relationships with other local arts organizations. Sure, there's a place in the world for competition and sport, but in the arts or when it comes to community, that, you know, our eyes should really always be towards collaboration, community, and supporting one another. It's a reminder that that in theater and and in life, you got to expect the unexpected. And I think it's just another reminder for us of how lucky we are to be part of this community and how much we want to, you know, give that energy back to everyone else as much as they gave it to us. Like the help offered, the teens come from several towns along Highway 82. I'll let them introduce themselves and their characters. I'm Catherine and I play Rona. My name's Daisy and I play Speller Number One and Olive's mom. I'm Eliza and I'm playing Mitch Mahoney, the comfort counselor. Iggy, I'm playing Leaf Coney Bail. The young performers detailed how problematic a full location change would have been for their creative and technical teams. It does cause a lot of problems for not just the actors, it's like a lot more for the tech people that have to 
fix the lights, the mics, all of the stuff that involves everything in there. With our amazing cast and our amazing team, I know it's gonna, we're gonna be fine. It's, it's a big impact on you all the techs. Sure. Just have to adapt, it's yeah. life. <laughs> It's gonna be a whole thing. I mean, we already got delayed one week to be here, and mm. happy that we finally get to be. Program coordinators took measures to not share the details of the issue with the students before they had a surefire plan, but the teens had this to say. I think that's really amazing, and it shows how much our community not only cares about the arts, but how tight-knit our community is. How I think it's really amazing how people are ready to help everybody and um, make this show possible. And I'm very thankful that we're able to do it in the black box, but I'm also very thankful for everybody who offered up a space. It's, it's pretty lovely. The whole community that we have here in the Valley is like very welcoming, it's very great. I moved here about two years ago, and I already feel so much at home here. With all of their worries now by the wayside, the teens and instructors can get back to their show preparations for opening night on Friday, each excited for the audience to experience their favorite part. I feel like just like doing another one for me because like I thought my last show was my last show and I'm here I am doing another one and I'm just so happy to be doing another one. It's very exciting. Just, yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> it's a really fun show, and I think I'm really excited for the audience participation, I think, is really important. We have, like, two audience members who get to sit on stage with the actors, and I think it's just, it's so much fun. And I feel like the show isn't what most people would expect, because it's very different from other shows Theater Aspen has done and other shows that I've done. Uh, I have like my own song in this number. I've never had like a personal song, so that I think that's gonna be pretty fun. Really though, I just enjoy getting to watch everyone do their thing. For KDNK News, I'm Hadison Rinsbury. Sounds from the Theatre Aspen production of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. And the show did go on earlier this month. And you can see photos of those student theatre performers at kdnk.org. The family of a high school student killed in the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High in Parkland, Florida in 2018 is on a national tour. They're raising awareness about the impact of gun violence on families, communities and students. Recently, they came through Colorado, where they visited several mass shooting sites, including Columbine and Aurora. And I caught up with them at King Supers in Boulder. A converted yellow school bus pulled into the parking lot of King Supers at Table Mesa in Boulder, emblazoned with messages like stop gun violence and save lives. On board, the family of one of the 17 people killed in Parkland, Florida. My name is Manuel Oliver and I am Joaquin Oliver's dad. I, I lost my son during the Portland shooting almost six years ago. We like to use uh, present time when we talk about Joaquin. So Joaquin is a, is a great soul and, and he's a little of a, he's leading a, a whole movement on activism. He was involved in rejecting gun violence since he was a kid. Um, lovely person, great, athlete like he loved music any any kind of music we will talk about classic rock punk ska merengue like latin sounds so very into music very into sports um, 
great dude, very funny, sharp, smart, uh, amazing writer. I mean, I'm not the only one that is missing Joaquin. I think the whole humanity, society in general, it's, is missing a great, great person. That's my son. They've come to meet family members of those killed two years ago here at King Supers. It's a legit um, exchange of support. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a, we're not a rock band on tour. We're not politicians on campaign. We're just, we know what it feels. Um, and I know that when we have some conversations with these parents, uh, we feel each other and we support each other. We feel better. Patricia Oliver, Joaquin's mother, placed a rock in the memorial garden beside the parking lot at King Supers to honour the 10 who were murdered on March 22nd, 2021. Well, the rock is a symbol of remembrance. It's a symbol that, we you know, we are Parkland. And these rocks were made for a group of women from Parkland. And we all remember everybody that is going through this situation. So every time I place a, a, a rock, it means that, you know, that there is a group behind that cares about the issue. And I think that's important to, to bring love and to bring remembrance because sometimes many, many, many survivors feel left apart. And that's something that we don't want to allow to do that because, you know, Parkland was five years ago. Boulder was, I think, two years ago. And, you know, people barely talk about that. And that's not right, you know. It, it, it's something that has happened and it is, it's, a, it's a tragedy that it happened. It's not, a, it's not a simple thing that you can just forget and move forward. No, and we're not allowed to do that. We're not going to do that. And we are willing to respect to pay respect to every single memorial that we're going to be seeing during the way because everybody deserves that moment. Manuel Oliver says he wants their message to resonate with communities who have not lived through such a tragedy. This is something that is preventable. This only requires uh, commitment and attitude and, and getting out there and, and be strong before and to the communities that I visited, you know, there is no message. I think that, I think that we should all together send a message. And, and that's the plan. I have friends now just because of this. I'm a friend with um, Brett Cross from Uvalde. He's a nice guy. But how did I met him? Because he lost his son Uzi. Uzi was shot when he was only like 12 years old. And, and Fred Gutenberg is my friend. Well, how do I know Fred? Because he lost his daughter, Jamie. So stop that. I don't want to meet more people that way. We know the feeling. We are warning you. And maybe this is the most important thing. We are, we are warning you and we're giving you details that I never got from anyone. I wish I had. The Guac's magical tour, a nod to Joaquin's nickname, will stop in 27 communities, all touched by gun violence, culminating with a caravan of 23 buses going to Washington, D.C. later this summer. Joaquin Oliver would have turned 23 on August 4th. Mm-hmm.
You've been listening to The Regional Roundup, a production of Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a coalition of public and community radio stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah and New Mexico, including this one. Thanks to Emily Cecilo of KGNU in Boulder, Hannah Mersbach of KHOL in Jackson Hole, Haddison Rensbury of KDNK in Carbondale, and to the Oliver family. And you can follow their journey across the country at changetheref.org. That's changetheref.org. Our theme music is Take Me Somewhere by Joel Adam Russell. I'm Maeve Conran. Thanks for listening.